Let's Cover That podcast is brought to you by CMNF Group, professional liability services for over 200 healthcare professions. Visit our website at cmfgroup.com slash podcast for more info. Hey, everyone. Will Sullivan here with another episode of Let's Cover That with my co-host, Antonina Agruza. And today we have with us Omar Nava an emergency medicine physician assistant and vice president of advanced practice provider services at Ivy Clinicians. Omar, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, You're welcome. And thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. So are we. So Omar, let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about your background in healthcare. What led you to emergency medicine and essentially leading you to Ivy Clinicians? Sure. Uh, very briefly, I've got uh, 20 plus years of experience as an emergency medicine PA. I was civilian trained, but I have a military background. Uh, my total service time and counting still in the reserve is uh, 35 years. Uh, when I went uh, to PA school, I had previously been an Army combat medic and Army combat nurse. So I gr- naturally gravitated towards uh, emergency medicine. Well, so so. You know, tell us just a little bit about the experience. I know you you have your own podcast. You've had one of our fellow uh, friends, Bob Blum, on about his experience there. But um, I, I think it does call just you know emergency medicine and PAs and just that history and how that sure. brings you to where you are. Why don't you just kind of you know highlight that a little bit because I think it's really meaningful for people to be reminded of that or, or find out for the first time. Sure. There's, there's no question that the market of medicine has been changing and continues to change dramatically in the past 20 years. Underneath that umbrella, even more so in emergency medicine. There's different factors that contribute to these multiple changes. And those, those factors are not limited to, but they include uh, shrinking uh, dollars available for healthcare, uh, a labor force problem in emergency uh, physicians, burnout, uh, COVID uh, and post-COVID definitely exacerbated the, the, the burnout, increasing populations, decrease uh, incidence of patients seeing primary care, so their chronic problems get worse until they get to the emergency mode, and then we ended up, end up seeing more of them in the emergency department. And then there's folks that just don't have insurance, so the emergency department is somewhat of a safety net. So all this contributes to a rising population of patients, but not enough folks to see them. So income, emergency medicine, NPs, MPAs to help augment uh, the force in emergency medicine. So when you introduce an entire workforce into a market, there's all kind of spinoff consequences. And the net gain, I believe, is positive because more people have access to care. But sometimes there's some unintended consequences. The population of PAs and NPs as a whole has just absolutely exploded on the workforce market, but again, even more so in emergency medicine. So it could be that 25, 30 years ago, emergency medicine PAs were coming into emergency medicine with a lot more experience underneath <clears throat> their belt. And uh, they, they may have been seeing a little bit different acuity, maybe a little bit on the lower end of the acuity. But now, because of this explosion of the workforce that I've described, you have uh, PAs coming into the market at a little bit 
uh, lesser age, a little bit lesser experience, not all the way around, just having a little bit more of this subpopulation coming in. And now there's no question that PAs and NPs are faced with seeing much more sicker, acute uh, patients. And the last thing I'll say is one thing that differentiates the workforce of, let's say, emergency medicine, NPs and PAs versus residency trained physicians is really, truly, for the most part, emergency medicine physicians are all trained in the same way. They go to a residency that has somewhat universal criteria and standards for them to get out into the workforce and say, I'm an emergency medicine physician. I'm ready to go into the workforce. But the variability uh, among physician assistants and uh, nurse practitioners is very wide because we, we have no unifying residency. So the education and training for, let's say, emergency medicine PAs has changed along the years with a big emphasis 20, 25 years ago being OJT on the job training by an emergency medicine physician to now the blossoming of fellowship uh, programs, PhD programs, programs that specific employers develop to advance the skills extra certificates of specialized training in emergency medicine. So everything I've described here has been of great interest to me. I've been passionate uh, about how to best utilize the force in emergency medicine. Uh, I've served on different advocacy groups. I've been the chairman of the licensing board in the state of Tennessee, my home state, uh, for PAs. So even though I'm crossing now my 21st year of practice, this issue of managing the workforce and how to best develop it and uh, how to best utilize it is still up for question. Uh, and it, it will continue to be so quite honestly, for sure, for the next five to 10 years as this nation grapples with what's the best way to make use of resources available in the labor workforce to match the challenges in healthcare and particularly emergency medicine. That's awesome. Thanks for walking us through that. And where do you see IV clinicians kind of comes into all of this and potentially fills some of the gaps that you were mentioning and hurdles in the healthcare space that you've experienced? Yeah, so a uh, great question. Um, IV clinicians, which is one of the reasons why I joined on, is uh, a very uh, unique entity. It's a, it, it's a marketplace where emergency physicians, emergency MPs and PAs go to look for jobs. So it's not just your run-of-the-mill jobs board. It's the only place that exists where one can find every single emergency department mapped out in the United States and identify who's the contractor for that. In addition, we identify unique characteristics of each emergency department how many visits, what's the uh, electronic medical record that's used. Is it a trauma center? Is it a residency training center or not? And then there's uh, some other helpful features such as a salary wizard where real clinicians can declare what uh, their salaries and their pay rates are versus simply just a recruiter stating it or, or, or saying, hey, I heard this, I heard that. But the most important thing, it's the only, uh, it's the only resource that maps out every ED in the country, making it the easiest way for folks to connect an emergency department that needs highly skilled professionals and a highly skilled professional that's looking to match with the right emergency department. Prior to this, 
it's just been very, uh, very awkward and clunky trying to find out, hey, I live in such and such place. Where are the emergency departments in the city or this town? Who has the contract? How do I go about applying for a job? How does so Omar? That's that's super interesting because so so what you're saying is all these different aspects. You know, historically, how did that look like, you know, in calibrating, do you want to join this team? Do you want to join that team? How much does the visits, who has the contract, whether they're residency versus a trauma center, um, that that must change a lot of the answer of a candidate wanting to join or not. And yes. has that just been kind of like blind flying of I've heard about this, this area, this this ED and I think that would be great. Let's go to it. And then, you know, three days later you say, whoa, this is a lot more patient volume than I was expecting or, hey, I'm working with more residents versus I really wanted to kind of ramp up my game with my expertise here with a trauma center. Is, is that type of complications from the clunkiness you call it? Yes. Well, historically? Will, you've hit on some great, great uh, topics. So again, let's go back 25, 30 years ago. If an emergency medicine PA wanted to join up with an emergency department, let's say his uncle Steve said, hey, you should check out emergency department A, and they, and they go join, and they meet with the supervising physician, the attending or the chief of medicine there. They're pretty much going to form somewhat of an apprenticeship relationship. And then they navigate the different patients and the challenges, the clinical challenges as time goes on. Those years are gone. Those years are gone because emergency medicine physicians need extra help now, and they've needed them for a, a number of years. So there's this big influx. Now, when we talk about emergency departments, something that Ivy's great at doing in, in mapping them out. Uh, yes, uh, many emergency departments share universal features. You know, likely you're going to have surges of patients arrivals at time X, two times a day, and a lot of things are universal. But also many emergency departments are very unique, like fingerprints. It all depends on the community and the locale that they're servicing. Are they servicing a rural area, which may have a lot of chronic illness because uh, they're financially challenged, don't have any primary care, there's a large number of unsure people? Are they going to be an urban center where there might be an increase of violent crime and you're going to see different kinds of trauma? So that alone is going to dictate what's the patient load going to look like, not only in volume, but what kind of illnesses are you going to see? Then, uh, Will, you mentioned, hey, what if it's a residency? You know, residents are training, uh, you know, for the profession. So they have to accomplish a minimum number of patient contact visits, a minimum number of hours, and a minimum number of exposures with certain diseases and illnesses. So there has to be a priority uh, for those residents to get those training. So it could be that uh, an emergency medicine PA doesn't get as much of a certain type of patient exposure because uh, they're saving that for uh, the residents. Then it, you may be in a trauma center and there's a big difference between practicing emergency medicine, mild trauma versus a trauma center. So emergency medicine PAs may have a role with the trauma team where they're helping intubate, they're helping put chest tubes into somebody's chest. It all truly depends on the training. And lastly, I mentioned before, 
there's a wide variability of training and experience among emergency medicine PAs because there's no unifying residency as, as there are with physicians. So the worst thing that can happen for both employer and uh, potential employee is that there's a mismatch. It, it can take up to four to five months to get credentialed at a hospital to practice emergency medicine for a physician or a PA. So imagine uh, four or five months going through the motions to get credentialed. You move your family to a locale and you find out you're a horrible mismatch. You may be highly skilled, Will. You may have great experience, but you're just not a match for this facility in your eyes, or perhaps in the facility's eyes, you're not a match. That's just a horrible recipe for disaster. You gotta start all over. You're disgruntled. P potentially there's some resentment on, on the employer. Both good actors in the story, but bad ending to the story. So Omar, you have your own podcast. How are you using that to leverage what you're experiencing every day between your emergency practice and what you're doing at IV clinicians? So I would say there's there's two to three big buckets of, of audiences and objectives that I'm trying to achieve. Uh, first, there's the provider, the emergency medicine MP and PA. There's such diversity. I've already talked about the variability in training. But there's also variability in age and in, in, in just experience. The average age of the practicing emergency medicine PA is, is, is lower than it used to be when dinosaurs like me uh, practice started practicing over 20 years uh, ago. So it's important to pass on to younger clinicians what are the things that they should be looking out for. It's very difficult for an academic institution to cover everything from A to Z. Um, then you have to learn how to be a professional once you get out in, into the field. So I, I hope to teach them how to advocate for themselves, how to look out for perils and pitfalls in their practice. Then another bucket of audience and objectives is the emergency medicine physician that acts as the supervisor for these uh, clinicians. In medical school, there isn't a long protracted uh, track of, of course study dedicated to how to be a supervising physician for an emergency medicine PA. It just doesn't exist on the whole. So they may come out of practice, new residents as attendings and, and meet their first PA and say, I'm, I have an idea what you do. I just don't know what's the extent that you can do or what's the bare minimum. Can you tell me? And, and, and it's not fair for a, a supervising physician to kind of put their, uh, their liability out there and to be exposed, really not knowing what their right and left limits are. Then my third bucket of audience and uh, also objective is an employer. And, and employers have to appreciate some of these nuances that I've just explained to both of you of how the workforce has been developing and changing. Uh, and also they should realize what is the best way to maximize the capability that these folks have in emergency medicine NPs, MPs. What's the, what's the best way we can squeeze out every ounce of capability yet being responsible as well? Why? Because the market demands it. The market is telling us that the population of emergency medicine patients is only going up and we do not have enough emergency medicine uh, physicians. This year, they hit a record high of unfilled uh, residency seats uh, in, uh, in emergency medicine. 
So you're talking about a lot of like the complications or hurdles and, and clearly just matching people, the, the employer with the, you know, the NP, the PA is a major piece of that hurdle. But what, what do you see next for just emergency? You're kind of dipping into it, but what's the future of emergency medicine and how PAs and NPs are part of that? So there's no question that their footprint is permanent in emergency medicine. And I, I absolutely certainly believe, I don't believe I'm in the minority, that their footprint will on, only widen again because of this shortage that we have of emergency medicine uh, physicians. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the challenges that face emergency uh, physicians is tough. Uh, it's tough. Uh, I, I feel for them. It's, it's a tough hurdle that they have. Um, there's been a lot of talk of, I mentioned that there's no unifying residency as there is for physicians. So there's been talk about changing uh, the standards to practice in emergency medicine. And what does that look like? Does that mean if you're an emergency medicine MP or PA, do you all have to have a PhD? PhDs have become somewhat uh, popular, but they still only represent single digits percentage of those practicing. The overwhelming majority of, of emergency PAs that practice uh, have their experience through OJT. And where do they get this on the job training? Well, they got it with uh, with residency trained uh, physicians. So there's this talk about changing uh, minimal uh, standards and education, but there's really no uh, unified agreement on that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in my remarks, uh, employers, we're seeing a new trend where employers are starting the equivalent of their own fellowship programs within their company. So they'll take on uh, somebody, they train them, pay them for two years in a very rigid uh, structured. And then at the end of the two years, they may owe some payback, but they've been, they've been well-trained. So that's one avenue. The academic avenue continues. There's uh, uh, some postgraduate PhD uh, programs. And then the Society of Emergency Medicine of Physicians Assistance, the advocacy group for EMPAs for about uh, the past 12 years or so has offered an added certificate of emergency medicine for physician assistance. So physician assistants are primary certification as a national board certification, and that's really based in primary care, but EMPAs can opt uh, to sit for an exam and uh, meet a list of criteria to be awarded an additional certificate in emergency medicine. And, and again, that's existed for about 10 or 12 years. So you, you have these three to four pathways, academic, um, uh, private uh, employers who have established their own fellowships, the additional certificate of emergency medicine, and then again, uh, good old fashioned uh, OJT. So what does it look like in the future? We're, we're about to see which one of those tracks tends to be the, the, the most popular one versus the other. That's amazing. Thanks for walking us through your thoughts on the future of emergency medicine. And I want to give you an opportunity before we wrap up today to plug the name of your podcast because I didn't mention it earlier and just let you know the PAs and NPs listening today know where they can find you. Yeah, they can uh, look uh, for Emergency Medicine NP and PA Workforce. And they can find it on any of their outlets uh, for podcasts. Our objective simply is to inform and share ideas. It's so important in this ever fast-changing environment of emergency medicine that folks stay informed. 
Omar, thank you so much, and, and thank you for your service to our country as it continues on. Oh, thank yeah. you both. I appreciate that. That's another episode. Let's cover that.